We're in 1 Kings chapter 17 tonight. Sorry about that. That's what happens when you're wired. 1 Kings 17. Uh, we'll begin with verse 1. We'll go through 16. We'll read the text. 1 Kings chapter 17 verses 1 through 16 as we continue to follow Elijah on the journey God has called him to. Beginning there in verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, Surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. The word of the Lord came to him saying, Go away from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. It shall be that you will drink of the brook and I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and lived by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he would drink from the brook. It happened after a while that the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please get me a little water in a jar that I may drink. As she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have no bread, only a handful of flour in the bowl and a little oil in the jar. And behold, I'm gathering a few sticks that I may go in and prepare for me and my son that we may eat it and die. Then Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go, do as you have said, but make me a little bread cake from it first and bring it out to me. And afterward, you may make one for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty 
until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. So she went and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah. Father in heaven, we thank you for the story of Elijah, which is the story of the blessed. It's our story. And God, I pray tonight you would really increase our faith in you. That we would be more inclined than ever, not only to hear your word, but to obey it. And that we would uh, even have a greater estimation of your, your ability that rather than look into our own ability, we would rest in your grace and mercy and willingness to provide for us all things pertaining to life and godliness. So Lord, help us, give us uh, wisdom, give us uh, the words, help us in our listening, help us in our preaching. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So, the living God raises up and refines his people, judges national sin, and all the while extending his loving kindness to Gentiles. So, you think, uh, you think of all that God is responsible for. Think about that. He's responsible for the whole universe. It's on his shoulders, it's not on us. He's a creator, we're not. But think of all the promises of God. Think of his affection toward his own. Think of the knowledge that he has of your needs, where you are, and I'm talking not, not just physical needs, but spiritual needs. We focus mainly on, on physical needs. I notice when we pray, we focus... And there's nothing wrong with focusing on physical needs. That's, we're, we're right to do so. But we should not do that to the neglect of spiritual needs. Because really, listen, when we align ourselves spiritually with God, we're in a better position for him to provide for our physical. That does make sense. Yeah, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And that is in his time. So, um, you know, the, this is, all these messages are really an extent, like this is an extension of this morning, even though we're in the Old Testament, because it's all in honor and glory of what God does in and through us. And if he doesn't do it, it doesn't get done. If, if, if he does not offer forgiveness, we don't get, we're not forgiven. If we don't, you know, 
he, but he does offer it. We receive it by faith in Jesus. And this is what's important. So salvation is real. Uh, Elijah knew that. And this widow is going to find out about it. But think of all that God is doing. God is judging national sin. The, the children of Israel turned to idolatry. They're, they have the most ungodly leaders they've ever had. They've got uh, Ahab as a king and they've got Jezebel as a queen. And, and they brought this idolatry right into their midst. They're killing the prophets of God. And God is raising up Elijah to bring the word of judgment to Ahab in the palace there about or concerning the national sin. God's had enough. R.G. Lee, a great pastor, preacher from way back, said there's a payday someday. And there is. Uh, whether the sins are personal or national, those sins will find you out if, if, if they are not confessed and repented of. They will find you out. And, you know, the, they're sowing to the wind here in this text, uh, and they're going to reap the whirlwind. The whirlwind, that being God's judgment. So God is, it's just interesting. He's judging national sin. At the same time, he raised, had to raise up a prophet to do it. And then we see him working in the prophet's life. Because don't think for a moment that Elijah, yeah, he's a great prophet of Israel, but he's not perfect. In fact, he's, he's going to digress. And God's going to stay with him. But he's not even referred to as a man of God until verse 24. In verse 1, he's Elijah the Tishbite. And that would be interpreted this way. He's a prophet from nowhere, from Tishba. Where's, was there a great school of the prophets there? No, there wasn't anything there. God just raised him up. God just reached down, grabbed him by the nap of the neck, and just raised him up. That's all he did, and God does that. So it's, a, it's beautiful. Well, uh, but God is doing, he's raising up, and he's refining the prophet, and he is judging national sin, and he is extending loving kindness to the Gentiles. I mean, he does all this stuff. I mean, he is, listen, Jesus is perfect. He is perfect in his leading and providing and caring for you and I, for our spiritual needs, as well as our physical needs. He is perfect in that. It's just overwhelming to see his hand in our lives, at work, and he's getting this done. Well, to the text. So Elijah the Tishbite, he's one of the settlers of Gilead, so he's out there, and he's, so that's where he was. He's now in the palace. Wow. He is, he is in the palace of the king. And what's more is he is before King Ahab. So he, and he says this, and this is his declaration. This is uh, the word of the Lord. It is an oath. This is oath language. As the Lord, the God of Israel lives. And the bottom line is, he lives. Okay. So as he lives, before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. So this is basically God's judgment spoken through the prophet 
to the wicked king Ahab. And it is a death sentence. No water means no life eventually. And who knows about the effect of this on Elijah and on the prophets of God. So there, there's the announcement. There's no explanation. There's no, uh, you know, we're, God's not negotiating here. It's just his word. Right there it is. And then verse 2, the word of the Lord came to him. So the first thing we really want to focus on here is the word of the Lord. And we have said it and we will say it. He is a speaking God. And he can put it all in front of us. He can put his word in front of us. The truth that is derived from that word. Um, and, but we, we have to apply ourselves to the word. And we have to ask God for understanding. We have to ask that the Holy Spirit would teach us and guide us in the word. This is important. And we hear God through the word. So the word of the Lord, there it is. The word of the Lord came to him. I love that. The word Lord there is relational. So to have a relationship with someone, you generally communicate with one another. There has to be communication. I love the conversations that Linda and I have. I love just talking, asking questions, doing, you know, just thinking, talking. There has to be communication for a relationship. If the relationship is void of communication, then that, the strength of that relationship wanes. And so there must be communication. And the Lord is, communi he is a communicating God. He didn't, you know, he didn't say, well, this is the last thing I'm going to say. Uh, you know, I'm going to use Elijah for this in the palace, and then we're done with Elijah. Elijah, you show up in the palace. You say what I want you to say to Ahab, and then we're done. Have, have a good life. No. The Lord will continue to speak to his own. He will continue to reveal his will to his own. So the word of the Lord came to him. I think that's pretty cool. The word of the Lord comes to him. Because I'm sure he's wondering where to. I doubt Ahab is going to be so inclined to put him up at the palace. No. He's going, to, he's going to be out. He's going to have to go. So the Lord tells him, verse 3, go away from here. And turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. So the Lord is here. Uh, we see the Lord here in verse 3 protecting his own. Where We read that recently. 1 Peter 1. We, you know, we have an inheritance in heaven. It's reserved for us who are being protected by the power of God through faith and until the revelation of Jesus in the last time. He protects us. He guards us. And here he's telling, he's telling Elijah, you have to get out of here. You have to leave the palace. You're not wanted here or you are wanted here. You might be wanted so that they can put you in the dungeon. He says, go away. So he turns eastward. He's going to the brook, not a river, not a river, not a large body of water. You're going to a brook. 
and the brook is Cherith. It's east of the Jordan, so it's a little brook that emptied into the Jordan. It's east of the Jordan, so it's further away. And he says, it shall be that you will drink of the brook. So, so in the midst of this word saying the waterworks are cut off, no rain, no dew, you have a brook and you're going you're gonna to drink the water of that brook. And he said, I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. So we have two things here, God's protection and God's provision for his people. That's how I translate this. He would do it for the prophet. We find in James 5, 17, the prophet was a man with a nature just like ours. Our nature is just like his. God loves his people. He's going to protect. He's going to provide. He's going to protect. He's going to provide. Do you test the Lord by driving 100 miles an hour down a country road? No, you don't. But he protects and he provides, right? And we just don't throw caution to the wind, right? We keep our feet on the ground and we trust God to protect and provide. This is, listen, this is Christianity 101. Why is the word of the Lord so important? I'll tell you why. You may not be ready for this, but you're going to get it. The word of the Lord is so important because it goes against our natural inclination. I mean, the word of the Lord never would have got him to Ahab at the palace. Me in the palace? I'm from Gilead. I'm a Tishba. I'm a Tishbite. What am I doing? No, it, he would not be naturally inclined to go see Ahab. The word of the Lord had to come. The word of the Lord had to instruct him. The word of the Lord had to tell him, go, go to Cherith. Well, why, why can't I go to the Sea of Galilee? That's better. There's fish there. There's, it's a beautiful lake. No, you're going to Cherith, east of the Jordan. You're going to be hidden there, and you're going to be provided for there with drink from the brook, and ravens will bring you bread and meat twice a day. And I love verse 5. Because he's going to go against every natural inclination. And what's he going to do? He's going to trust his God. Who is the what? The living God. Why wouldn't he trust the living God? You know what we do? I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to take matters. I'm going to, you know, if, hey, if it's going to be, it's up to me. No, no, no. That's not the way God works with his own. God is teaching him to trust. He ain't done with Elijah. Elijah's got a lot of personal growing to do. And see, here's what we, here's what, here's what 99% of Christians in this era or age do not get this. You see someone who speaks well or is a good, whatever you call it, a good preacher, and you think, wow. You know what? They're men just like you. Frail creatures of dust. And you know what? As long as they're living, breathing, if they're truly born again, God ain't done with them. And God, does a, God is wanting to do a deep work in them. And he's, he's wanting us to learn to trust him. It's too easy to take matters into our own hands and say, well, I hadn't heard from the Lord in the last five minutes, so I'll get this done. I'll jump in here. I'll fix it. Why does the psalmist continue to say, 
Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Don't get in a hurry. Well, so he did according to the word of the Lord. What a blessing. For he went. So what did that, I love verse 5. So it explains what it meant that he did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and lived by the brook Cherith. He found the brook and he lived by the brook, which is east of the Jordan. And the ravens, just like God said, lo and behold, ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he would drink from the brook. You know, he's, he's out of the limelight. He's not at the palace. He's, he's out basically pretty comfortable in a solitude uh, that he experienced growing up. He's used to being alone. He's used to being uh, by himself. But he's being protected. And it happened after a little while. Now I wonder, verse 7, you just put this in your mind. Okay, so he knows it's not going to rain. And he knows there's not going to be any dew. So I wonder if day by day, he's watching that brook dry up. It doesn't dry up at once. But as the days go along and there's no rain and there's no dew, that the, you know, at first the, the water was flowing just really beautifully, bubbly, sparkling water, and now it's like a trickle. And I wonder what was going through his mind in those days. You know, uh, maybe getting a little nervous, or maybe uh, what are we going to do next, Lord? Or is it, should I go ahead and move now, or should I wait? Well, he, he waits, and the Bible says that the brook dried up. And that means that that brook bed or little water uh, area uh, just became dry and then the dirt became hard and then it began to crack as far as we know Elijah is still there he saw the brook dry up but God you said for me to come here and you said for me to but God answered his prayer God fulfilled the prophecy that he spoke to Ahab. What did we think was going to happen? Cherith's drying up. All the other brooks are drying up as well because he said there wasn't going to be rain. Neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Verse 8, what's God going to do? The word of the Lord. There it is. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying. So the word of the Lord the word of the Lord came and he pronounced judgment on Israel because of their idolatry. And at the same time that word of the Lord was coming, God was going to hide Elijah and God was going to protect for Elijah and God was going to uh, feed Elijah. God was going to take care of his life. And then that brook dried up. The source, uh, the food, the drink, it's all, it's, a, it's gone. Those days are gone. And the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath. Zarephath? So Cherith means separation, or to be cut off, or to be cut down, or to be cut back. And we take it that that is not only a wonderful name for a brook, but it's also what God is doing in Elijah's life. He was in the limelight in the palace, but now he's at the brook Cherith and he's being cut back. He's being separated from the limelight and the attention. 
And now, he says, arise, the Lord says, arise, go to Zarephath. So it just gets more interesting, Zarephath. Where is Zarephath? Zarephath is Gentile country. Zarephath means refine, to refine or refining. Where is Zarephath, Zarephath located? So he, he says, arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Well, why, Lord? Well, the Lord doesn't always tell us why. His word is just direct and, and bottom line. And here's a little surprise for you. If you'll go to 31, verse 31. It came about, this is, oh, chapter 16. It always helps to know either chapter, no, chapter and verse rather than chapter or verse. It came about as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he married Jezebel. He's talking about Ahab there. Married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the what? Sidonians. He just, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, and the Lord told Elijah to go from Cherith to Zarephath, which is in Sidon, and that's exactly where Jezebel was from. In all likelihood, that's where this idolatry stemmed from. She is an idolatrous woman, an idolatrous queen who affected her, her husband, the king, Ahab, and the whole nation of Israel and led them all into the worst idolatry they had ever seen. Now, they had never known a righteous king, a righteous fleshly king. They'd never known that. But this is as bad as it gets. And he is, he's just told Elijah, go to Jezebel's home. Go where she's from. Zarephath, the place of refining. And he says, stay there. And then he gives him the worst news ever. He says, behold, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. Now, folks, if you think that expecting ravens to bring you bread and meat in the morning, bread and meat in the evening, if that was just a ludicrous idea and thought that that would ever be fulfilled, for God to tell him that a widow in Zarephath would provide for him was outlandish. It was, there's just no way. You say widow, you may as well say desolation. You may as well say poverty. They're the lowest rung on the ladder. They have nothing. She's going to provide for me. And she's a Gentile. We're going to Gentile country now. Come on. Yep. You know what? I just hear the Lord saying, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways aren't your ways. My ways are higher than your ways. And that's what the Lord is doing. He's leading. And you know what? The word of the Lord came. Why is it the word of the Lord? It's the word of the Lord to Elijah. And he has to obey that word. And he needs that word because there is nothing in his body. Nothing in his mind, in his DNA, in his education, whatever that was. That, that would move him from Cherith to Zarephath. 
There is no rational reason to go from Cherith to Zarephath. But boy, we, I mean, we're coached up on rationale all the time, aren't we? What's I mean? What are we doing here? He just tells it. There's a widow there. There's a widow there. She'll, she'll, she'll provide there. So, so I love verse 10. Elijah's really coming along with the Lord, isn't he? So he arose and he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, so he's, you know, he's, it was about 100 miles across the desert, by the way, from Cherith to Zarephath. 100 miles across the desert. God, is there an easier way to get to the place of refinement? I mean, God refines us as he gets us to that place. Uh, it's a challenge. It's all, and I think, boy, the Second Corinthians, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4 and 5. I mean, it's all about trusting God in the midst of trial and refinement and pain and heartache and disappointment and frustration at times. But he trains us and he's gracious in so doing. So uh, he, he, went, he went and he came to the gate of the city. I love this, the way this story unfolds. Behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. Hmm. He doesn't know for sure. I don't think that this is, this is her. It's got, he's got to have this question. Is this, I mean, with, what, what widow? I don't know. But the Lord's going to show him here. And he called to her. So he's, he's calling to her. He doesn't say, uh, hey, I received a word from the Lord. I've traveled 100 miles across the desert. The Lord said there'd be a widow here. No, he's just calling to her and he says, please give me a little water in a jar that I may drink. So a very natural question. I think he is, I think he's fishing. Is this the one? Is this the widow that God has declared to me that will provide? As she was going to get it, so here's a good one. As she's going to get the water, he called to her again and he said this, please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. So he's asking for a little more. Is this the widow? Is this the one? But she said, now get this, this is who's supposed to provide for him. As the Lord, and get this, your God. It's oath language, but the Lord, as far as she is concerned, is not her God. He's his God. As the Lord, your God, lives, she's saying, I have no bread. Only a handful of flour in the bowl and a little oil in a jar. And behold... I'm gathering a few sticks that I may go in and prepare for me and my son that we may eat it and die. Welcome home. I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's almost it's almost comical. I mean, I mean, he's he's all he's he's 